And we're now going to shift gears to air travel. After months of sheltering in place, and as health experts characterize air travel as relatively low risk, more Americans are contemplating taking to the skies again. And we're going to talk about how to minimize your chances of contracting COVID on airplane and on an airplane, excuse me, and how to evaluate and manage risks associated with renting a car, using a ride hailing service or staying in a motel. And we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on pandemic air travel this fall? If you've been flying, what's it been like? You can give us a call right now at our toll free number. We invite you to do that. The number to call is 866-733-6786 or send an email to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter. We're at KQED Forum. Joining us is Henry Wu. He's Associate Professor of Medicine, Infectious Diseases Specialist at Emory University School of Medicine. He's also Director of the Emory Travel Well Center and the Medical Director of the Emory Acute Respiratory Clinic, Emory's Outpatient Center for Confirmed or Suspected COVID Cases. Welcome, Dr. Wu. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you, and also glad to have Natalie Compton with us for this segment, reporter for the Washington Post travel column. By the way, welcome, Natalie Compton. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you, and uh, Professor Wu, let me begin with you. Uh, we get into all this uh, risk science when we talk about people getting on airplanes, uh, but you can certainly minimize a lot of those risks now, and uh, you have to sort of assume that anybody is a transmitter. That's uh, the going notion I have, but uh, it's hard to track these flights transmissions. Uh, and yet it's, at this point, I think, fairly uh, almost axiomatic to say that the rate of infection from air travel or the likelihood of it is low if you take the right precautions. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's been very difficult to precisely estimate the risk of transmission on aircraft. Obviously, it's very difficult to know where a patient uh, was exposed, particularly because so many cases are asymptomatic and we know those can spread. But I do think that uh, we're learning enough about how it spreads and the effectiveness of the precautions we can do. So I do agree that taking these precautions can make a big difference um, when you travel and really doing anything else outside your home. Uh, but certainly I would still consider um, there to be some risk that cannot be completely mitigated. Yeah, and I think the general rule is uh, you should stick with mainly essential travel. I think uh, some wag said uh, you may need a vacation, but COVID-19 doesn't take a vacation. Um, sort of stuck in my head. Uh, but we're talking about really uh, pretty good air circulation on airplanes. Uh, some say there's more danger in going through the airport or going through TSA than there is on the plane. Would you agree with that? I think um, it is definitely correct that the air filtration and uh, circulation systems on aircraft is extremely good, probably better than in almost any other indoor environment I can think of. Uh, I do also agree that the variables of the airports, the transfers getting to the airport introduce a lot of risk that uh, we certainly are familiar with. I think the one aspect about air travel that is, does make it unique is that you are a bit of a captive uh, a passenger during that flight. And so my immediate concern is really those who are immediately around you in your row and in the couple rows ahead or behind you where even with excellent air filtration, uh, the risk uh, may not be completely eliminated. Well, if somebody sneezes on you or coughs on you, <laughs> there's that, right? Absolutely. So, uh, and that's where wearing the mask uh, at all times, unless you need to remove it for eating or drinking, um, and obviously uh, hand hygiene, all of these uh, precautions are important. Um, and just like, you know, everywhere else in life, to the extent possible, keeping your distance from others. 
And it may not be possible to do six feet on an aircraft, but certainly if there are, you know, empty seats, uh, you know, trying to stay as far away from others, maybe taking the window seat uh, might be your best options. And it's good to have uh, a sanitizer because uh, from what I read, the, the germs are most rampant around these uh, bathroom faucet handles or lavatory sliding lock doors, uh, magazine pockets for that matter, tray tables, those kinds of things. So handy to have one of those uh, spritzers, as we used to call them, with you, huh? Certainly. Um, although we do think that uh, COVID-19 is primarily spread uh, through the air, through droplets, uh, contaminated surfaces are certainly of some concern. So having that uh, sanitizer with you on yourself, in your pocket, so that it's within easy reach whenever you need it, whenever uh, you touch something that might be contaminated, or whenever you need to bring your hands to your face, whether it's to adjust your mask or to eat or rub your eyes, uh, try to make sure your hands are clean when you bring them up to your face. And try to keep uh, the usual rules in place, I presume. I mean, in terms of uh, physical distancing, as best you can do that, hand washing, uh, as well as the hand sanitizers. Also, a good idea to get a flu shot, isn't it, now? Strongly recommended? Oh, absolutely, sir. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, we, we've always encouraged flu shots for travelers. We think it's one of the most important travel vaccines because historically flu is one of the most common infections you get during travel. This season, it's also important because as you know, the flu and COVID can look very much alike. And so coming down with the flu, particularly while traveling, can raise a lot of concern for COVID and cause a lot of disruptions in your travel and unnecessary worry. Again, Henry M. Wu is with us. He's Associate Professor of Medicine and Infectious Disease Specialist at Emory University School of Medicine. And again, if you have questions, uh, well, about travel and health, you can certainly join us now at our toll-free number. It's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us with any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. I want to bring Natalie Compton into this. Uh, and we can talk about consumer issues with Natalie, and you can ask questions of her. She's a reporter of the Washington Post Travel, and she has a column by The Way. That is, the column's title is, uh, is By The Way. And uh, Natalie, first, let, let's just talk about a few consumer things that I think would be useful for listeners to know. Uh, pretty good rates in the fall in terms of flying, aren't they? Well, that is a... I don't know if benefit is a good word for talking about the pandemic, but that is something that we have seen during this time is that because there's such a low demand for air travel, the cost of plane tickets is shockingly low. And there, uh, for the, well, I think the advice here is, uh, I read in your column, if you want a super cheap flight, you could maybe should play it, pay in cash, but otherwise it's a good idea to use miles if you have miles. Good, a very yes. sensible idea, yeah. So when I spoke with an expert from the points guy, his advice was if a flight is looking like it's going to be $200 or more, you should definitely look to use your miles or your points. Right now, people are accumulating a lot of miles and points by using their credit cards and not necessarily cashing those out by traveling anywhere. So Brian's tip was definitely to use those miles. It doesn't really help you to store them forever. Airlines may change their policy on points. And right now, there are uh, incentives to use those now, especially if you want to change or cancel your flight later, you're going to get those miles back. No weird loopholes with uh, any fees or, or confusion. But if a flight is, you know, stark cheap, there is no real harm in, in just trying to, to book a cheap flight when possible. Right now, we had a story come out today about holiday travel in particular, and 
it seems like in years past, there was always this advice to book your holiday travel months in advance. Right now, that might be true again because we're seeing such low flights this year uh, for the holidays, which is totally new and a shocking thing. Well, where can people go, really? I mean, uh, if they want to take a trip uh, outside of the United States or even uh, if they go to Hawaii, for example, or New York, they have to quarantine. Uh, where can they get advice on uh, in terms of the best information about where your passport can take you or a lot of maybe interest in Antarctica since they don't have uh, COVID up there? But um, right. what, what do you recommend just in terms of getting the information that's needed? Right. So at this time, the situation for Americans traveling is completely in flux. There are rules that are in place one day that are different the next. So you need to start to think about where you want to go and be checking in regularly to see what their policies and restrictions are. For example, right now, there are a lot of places in the Caribbean that are open, but have different requirements on maybe you need to get a test before you go and show that you uh, tested negative for coronavirus. Sometimes you have to be tested on arrival, but it definitely changes depending on where you're looking at in the world. If you're looking at regional travel, I really like United Airlines, this map they just launched recently that shows different travel restrictions for different parts of the country. But if you're going abroad, you are going to have vastly different rules all over. For example, most of Europe is closed, but Croatia is open or a lot of Africa is closed, but Kenya and Egypt are opening up for Americans in addition to some other countries. I think it's also uh, important for listeners to know that there are different rules on different airlines. Uh, I think it's only Delta that uh, is presently enforcing uh, the, or leaving middle seats free uh, until the end of October. But I'm looking at a tweet here from a listener named Debbie who says, my daughter was on American Airlines flight from JFK to Dublin on Saturday. The passenger next to her across the aisle refused to wear a mask. She was told it wasn't airline policy to enforce mask wearing. I wish she had been on Delta. I mean, we do have these different, uh, I think all the American uh, airlines now do have mask requirements, but we do have these different rules, especially on middle seats. Right, Something that I think is very helpful is the website Skyscanner that you can use to compare flights. They've started doing a service where they show you exactly what policies different airlines have in place. And they've took it upon themselves to give airlines rankings for how well they think they're doing in this effort against coronavirus. So, you know, it could show a, a airline like Delta who is still blocking off middle seats. Um, or if they're not doing something like that, you can gauge what you're getting into before you get on board. But I think that woman is right. Delta has really been a very strong airline in this period. Just on Saturday, they turned around a plane going from Detroit to LA because a passenger wouldn't put a mask on and they are taking this very seriously. Let me go back to you, Dr. Wu, uh, and ask about uh, middle seats. Uh, there, for example, was a study out of MIT about middle seats. Uh, what do we know or what do we still need to know on that score? Yes, well, that study from MIT uh, was very interesting. Uh, and it was a modeling study. That's important to emphasize. This was not an experimental study where they you know, measured actually the actual risk of uh, transmission. But the main conclusion was that uh, potentially keeping the middle seats empty, so that you're not sitting directly next to somebody, can roughly reduce the risk of a, tr a transmission event by, you know, by by half, roughly. Um, I, I think there's plenty to to tinker and debate on on some on the model itself, but I do think um, 
this does fit our general uh, understanding of how uh, this virus can spread. It is primarily through air, but through larger droplets that take some close contact. So uh, honestly, even before this study came out, uh, we were thinking that keeping that seat empty is probably the best idea. Certainly, I would prefer not to be sitting directly next to somebody um, understanding the way this virus spreads. Could you also say something, uh, Professor Wu, about, uh, we're coming up on a break here, but I know that uh, I want to talk about getting to the airport and all of that, and a lot of people are concerned about ride services. Uh, both Uber and Lyft have uh, put in some more safety rules. They're publicizing them. Lyft, for example, has vehicle partitions uh, for the drivers, and Uber is providing Clorox disinfectant wipes for drivers and riders. How safe are, is it to have, get an Uber, or for that matter, get uh, Lyft or whatever? Well, I, I think uh, the question of exactly how safe or how dangerous is, is really uh, a difficult question to answer, but I do appreciate the precautions that they are doing requiring drivers wearing masks. Uh, a partition uh, is great if, if, the, if, if cars do have those too. Other uh, precautions uh, as, a, as a passenger I would take is definitely wearing my mask. Um, I would prefer the windows to be open, uh, weather permitting. Um, and certainly, um, you know, hand washing and hygiene. Well, we're going to continue uh, talking with our guest, uh, Henry Wu, who's Associate Professor of Medicine, Infectious Disease Specialist at Emory University School of Medicine, and Natalie Compton, reporter for The Washington Post, who does a travel column, by the way, and taking your calls and emails. So feel free to join us. You can do that now by email, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or join us by phone, 866-733-6786. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about travel and particularly air travel, but also the safety of travel in the wake of the pandemic. And uh, with us, Natalie Compton is a reporter for The Washington Post, does a travel column called By the Way. And Henry M. Wu, who's Associate Professor of Medicine and Infectious Disease Specialist at Emory University School of Medicine. And let's get a caller on. Sherry, join us. You're on the air. Does it help to wear a face shield on top of a mask on the plane, or else I have this hat with a shield attached to it? Does that help? Dr. Wu? Um, possibly. I, you know, I think the added benefit of a face shield or eye covering, such as goggles, on top of the mask um, is uh, the added value is, is, is really yet to be determined, but we do think there is some risk of potentially, uh, you know, whether it's a, a splash or something getting in your eyes, um, you know, or contaminating your face that, you know, creates more opportunity to, to infect yourself. So I, I think it's, it's not a bad idea. Certainly, uh, I don't necessarily have the, you know, the, the hard evidence to say that everyone should be doing it, but I, I would emphasize, though, that wearing a face shield does not remove the need to wear a face mask underneath. What do you say, Dr. Wu, to the question, I'm looking at some of the listeners' questions here, and they bear uh, into this notion that maybe it's safer to drive, but when you're driving, uh, you can get in an accident, you can have car trouble. It depends clearly on how long the trip is. Uh, and uh, I wonder what your wisdom might be on that question. Yeah, I, I think those are all good points. Um, 
I think it really just depends on the trip and the individual. Uh, you've, you've raised the risks of driving that have always been around. We're familiar with it. Some of us are more skilled at doing cross-country trips. Um, I, I think the differences are that, of course, you have more, a little more control of your environment when you drive. Uh, when you're stopping, you can choose where you stop. If you see a restaurant or a stop that seems too crowded, you can certainly move to the next one. You can even bring your own food and water to minimize your stops. Uh, however, you may have to spend the night somewhere or do other things that might put you at risk. So I think it really uh, depends, but for many situations, driving might be the best option. And while for others, um, uh, flying uh, may be your best bet. So, so I do think it takes some careful thought and planning. Well, since we're talking about spending overnight and careful thought and planning, there are a lot of hotels, for example, and motels that uh, are touting all the safety uh, precautionary measures that they take. And yet you read these reports of people who say, no, uh, they're not coming through with what they advertise or what's on their website and so forth. Uh, I wonder again, maybe if you can shed some wisdom on how people can be more safe. Sure, I, I would approach the hotels and you know Airbnbs and anything you know really uh, with the same sort of uh, mindset. You know, knowing that this uh, illness uh, primarily is through contact with others. So, the hotel um, situation, uh, the, probably the riskiest points would be the check-ins, the lobbies, the elevators, uh, just situations where you may be closer uh, with others. Uh, the room itself. Um, you know, hopefully they're using uh, recommended practices for wiping down. Certainly you can bring your own wipes to, to wipe down the more high touch areas just for good measure. Um, and if, if I had my choice, I would pick the room that's been vacant the longest. That way, um, any, any risk that somebody was just in there who has been ill uh, would be minimized. We do know that the virus can only uh, survive on surfaces or be present in the air for for only uh, you know limited amounts of time, so the longer rooms and vacant, uh, I would consider that to be the, the more likely safer room. There's generally advice to avoid elevators and take the stairs if you can. But let me bring Natalie Compton back into this. Natalie, I know you've written about Airbnb policies. What should people know? So. Back in an earlier time in this pandemic, Airbnb launched this new advanced cleaning protocol. I believe it was June. And they really wanted the Airbnb owners to start doing more thorough cleanings and also take on this new label. So people who were booking could see, okay, this listing is following this advanced cleaning protocol. And for example, what some of that uh, requirements would be to be able to get that label is you need to keep your listing vacant for at least 24 hours. The person needs to wear gloves while they're cleaning the listing. And according to Airbnb, they say that they've had 1 million listings comply with this since. And the ones that do have that label get three times more booking. So people definitely want that. And it looks like people are trying to comply with this new sort of cleaning procedure but it is, you know, it's people. So I would say take it with a grain of salt, but we think that people are trying to do the right thing. And let me bring another caller on. That's Vanessa. Vanessa, good morning. Join us. Hi, good morning. I just had a question of um, if we need to get on a flight, which is like a six to seven hour long flight with a toddler, a two-year-old, is there anything that we're not thinking of that we could potentially do to um, decrease his risk? Can you help us here, Henry Wu? Well, uh, yeah, I guess that two years old, a toddler, it's going to be a little challenging. I, we do recommend ages two and above uh, potentially wear masks if you can keep it on them to the extent possible. 
I, I think my our best advice would be to be prepared. I, you know, I'd hopefully on the flight, if you can get a road to yourself, uh, and on top of that, uh, have everything you might need in reach: your wipes, your your replacement masks, uh, you know, your hand sanitizer. Uh, maybe try yeah. to uh, have the toddler use the bathroom before the flight to minimize the need to get up and and take them. Um, uh, I, I do um, think some extra planning can help, but again, if, if, if the aircraft is full, it may be quite challenging. So uh, certainly, uh, uh, certainly not always going to be easy. Well, let me thank Vanessa yeah. for the call. And let me go back to you, Natalie Compton, with a question from a listener who wants to know about precautions for those of us who need wheelchair service in the airports. Thoughts from you? That is an interesting question that I have not been writing on, but I know that right now at this time, airline employees and airport employees are mandating masks. So at least there is that precaution in place. But I think your best bet would be to call the airport as well as the airline ahead of time and see what they're doing to make sure those passengers are safe. And here's another caller joining us. Jane, you're on. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. I just had a quick question about the flu shot um, that your guest was recommending. My daughter is going to England on Sunday, and I wondered if the same strain that is being is in the shot in the U.S. would be the same uh, in England. Dr. Wu. Yes, uh, in the northern hemisphere, vaccines uh, will, are designed to cover the uh, the same strains that will be predicted to be a problem this fall. And let me go back, uh, if I may, to you, Natalie Compton. Uh, I know you did write about flight attendants and their experiences. What's it like to be a frontline worker on an airplane now? It is definitely not business as usual for flight attendants. They're having to take on a new role of being mask enforcers. Many of the flight attendants that I spoke with said that, for the most part, people are being pretty good about following those mask rules. However, they do have times when they have to lay down the law. Passengers will pull the mask down as soon as the flight attendant walks away or be a little confrontational about it. But for the most part, people are, are doing what is required because they know that that's the only way that they're going to be able to fly. But I thought it was interesting that something flight attendants said they missed was having the opportunity to really connect with passengers because everyone's wearing a mask. You can't smile at people. You're not having those same chats that you would when you're doing food and beverage service. So they did express a sense of loss over that uh, and a sense of loneliness when they are doing their layovers instead of flying to a new city, getting to explore with crew members or just go out on your own. A lot of flight attendants are staying in their hotels and things aren't open around them and, and people are too cautious to want to spend time together. So it's a lonelier time to be a flight attendant. Again, Natalie Compton does the column, by the way, for the Washington Post. And uh, Henry Wu is an associate professor of medicine and infectious disease specialist at Emory University School of Medicine. And Professor Wu, a question uh, from a listener who writes, uh, this is Emily, who says, have airlines in a quantitative way demonstrated lower concentrations of airborne viral particles? And if you have a much higher density of people in the cabin, does the ventilator system fully compensate for that and even make the air better than a less densely populated space? Well, I, I don't think, um, you know, we have uh, in terms of actual data of uh, viral particles and of, of COVID uh, during flights and uh, I think we can uh, just go by some of the previous studies, some of the more modeling, some of the more observational studies. But uh, I would say that 
the filtration systems are quite good and really I'm, I'm less concerned uh, about whether or not the aircraft is, is, you know, if I were in an aircraft, whether, you know, somebody in a different part of the aircraft was sick than those immediately around me. The way the circulation uh, the works, uh, the air is filtered several times um, and, 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 and substantial amounts of outside air come in so that the air is replaced fairly routinely. But again, those immediately around you, um, you know, may cough or sneeze and that air may not have had a chance to be uh, circulated. So the issue about the, the crowding is more just an, uh, or filling the planes is, is more an issue about being in close contact with others immediately around you. Well, another question from Victoria about data. She wants to know, is there any data showing how many people have caught COVID from flying? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, and uh, the reality is, is it's extremely difficult to prove that somebody has uh, caught COVID during an, an air uh, a flight. Uh, and as you can imagine, even if somebody came down with an illness just after getting off a flight, we don't know if they got that on the taxi ride or in the airport or in the restaurant the day before. So it's very difficult. Uh, there may be about a half dozen or so uh, uh, case reports or studies that I have seen so far that uh, show evidence, uh, fairly strong evidence that it did occur. So uh, I think our best uh, uh, guess is that it does occur. Um, it, it may not be necessarily um, riskier than, say, going to a crowded bar or restaurant. In fact, I, I would suspect it's uh, probably safer than going to a crowded bar or restaurant at this time um, for that, you know, actual uh, period you're on the plane. And let me read an opinion from a listener named Pam who writes, I'm not flying, I don't think it's safe, and I don't need to exacerbate pollution and climate change. And a question from a listener named Nathan. I'll go back to you, Professor Wu. Nathan says, if hardly anyone is traveling or working in offices, where will the flu originate and be transmitted? Won't we have a small flu season? Now, that's a great question. Uh, you, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the listener is entirely correct in that flu and, and COVID-19 transmits in, in very similar ways, a fairly close contact uh, with others. So. Um, we have some evidence that uh, earlier this spring in other parts of the world uh, that uh, had uh, simultaneous COVID-19 and flu epidemics, that flu numbers uh, did appear to be lower than typical, uh, presumably due to the distancing uh, and the mask wearing and, and hand hygiene. So uh, that would be our um, best case scenario and that all of our prevention measures uh, puts down the numbers of COVID-19 and the flu. On the other hand, if we are not good about it, certainly we can have a bad uh, course with both of them. I want to bring another caller on here, and that's uh, Chris, who's a flight attendant. Chris, join us. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yes, I fly for Delta Airlines, and I uh, travel to Sydney. I have to commute from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And honestly, I feel very safe with Delta Airlines. We social distance, agents, pilots, flight attendants all wear masks, and they wear it for 15 hours to Sydney. And so do our passengers, because we walk up and down the aisles making sure, unless they're eating or drinking, that they're safe. Well, I appreciate hearing from you, Chris, and I thank you. And uh... Uh, we'll um, take your words. Uh, Delta's way ahead of the pack here, though, in some respects, aren't they, Natalie? I mean, like I said, they're 
uh, going to have middle seats empty until the end of October. Nobody else is doing that. They really are just, I think, really going for the gold, I guess, in terms of being strong defenders of people during coronavirus. They released that they have already banned more than 270 people because of people refusing to wear masks. So they're not afraid to be the bad guy in some cases. And I think that's encouraging a lot of people to choose Delta if they're trying to be as safe as possible. And I want to bring another caller on. Steve joins us from up in Sonoma County. Steve, welcome. You're on the air. Thanks. You know, I'm just seeing a real range of how people are doing their kind of risk mitigation around COVID. And I'm wondering, you know, I'm I'm thinking of someone who, um, a dad, he just got on a plane, his, um, He's divorced. The, the wife said, the ex-wife said, hey, you cannot be near your kid until you show me a negative test. Right. And then um, shows a negative test, but then he does a retreat next day. Um, there seems to be a bright line in the sand about air travel and other kinds of risks people are taking. There, It seems to be uh, less of a sand. Is that rational? So that's one question. And then the other one is just, you know, we've been talking about planes, but what about the train or other public transportation? Well, let's take that first. Uh, Henry Wu, some thoughts about train travel? Um, I I think um, whether it's buses or trains, it's all going to depend on how well the air is being circulated and filtered, I think. And that certainly can vary uh, significantly by, you know, where you are, uh, you know, the the actual train or bus you're riding. Uh, I think it's fair to assume that's not going to be as uh, thorough as, as it is on a commercial aircraft. And what about quarantining? Steve raised that whole question. Uh, well, I, I think he, he raises a good point that a lot of attention has focused on air travel as something of high uh, risk. Uh, but I, I, and I think it's worth teasing out a little bit. Uh, we certainly believe air travel uh, is, uh, is unique in, in bringing COVID to areas which may not have had it before. So travel, we know, has spread illnesses around the world, including COVID-19. But in terms of your personal risk, I, I totally agree that uh, you know the you know going to the restaurant that is not well distanced you know with you know with 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 people without masks you know during a period of high transmission rates in the U.S. is potentially uh, one of the more dangerous things you can do. Um, now, on the other hand, even if it, flying is relatively safe, again, do not forget the other things: the airports, the check-ins, and the uh, the taxis, or anything else you might do on your trip. Natalie, a question for you from a listener who wants to know, what airlines besides Delta keep the middle seats empty? And also, what airlines have a low rate of reported cases of COVID-19? Well, like uh, Henry had mentioned, I don't think there are just data right now about what airlines would have COVID coming from a flight of theirs. And as far as the airlines that are still doing the middle seat, I would have to check. But as far as I know, Delta for sure. And I don't want to speak for an airline that might be incorrect. So check with the airline before you book to make sure. A lot of them might have started with that practice, but then we're getting reports that they're no longer doing that and and it, it changes constantly. So check with the airline before you book if you are concerned about having your middle seat empty. An interesting question from a listener named Soror that I'm going to go to you on, Henry Wu. He says, how would you compare the risk of going to the grocery store to flying? Sure. Um, and again, I, I do think it, it all depends on how well the precautions are being followed at the grocery store. Um, I, you know, I, I, I've seen people lined up nicely six feet apart and check out lines, but then when we're in the aisles, we're kind of up next to me. So, um, 
So I do encourage folks, no matter what you're doing, to adopt a new mindset of keeping that personal space, uh, you know, a, a little bigger than, than we have in normal times. We're going to leave it there. Henry Wu, good to have you with us. I appreciate very much you being with us this morning on Forum. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Henry M. Wu. He's Associate Professor of Medicine and Infectious Disease Specialist at Emory University School of Medicine. Thank you, Natalie Compton. Good to have you with us this morning. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Natalie Compton is a reporter for The Washington Post, has a travel column called By the Way. And By the Way, Forum is with you Monday through Friday, 9 to 11. Another hour of Forum coming up. Ariana Prell will be filling in for Mina Kim. And you can always let us know what you think about what you hear on Forum or would like to hear by emailing us, forum at kqed.org. For all of us here at KQED Public Radio and the Forum Program, thank you for listening and being a part of this first hour. Stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.